0: All right. Um, A few announcements. As we look ahead, we are winding things down, my dear friends. You can do it. I believe in you. All right. So next week, Sunday, is our final off for the semester, and we'll be doing Testimony Night. We'll we'll explain more about that next week, Um, but it's a great time to celebrate what God has done on our campus this semester. Don't worry. You don't have to speak if you don't want to speak. So but it is a great time to come and listen to other people's stories about what God's been up to. So plan on that next week. So we sing and we do testimonies. Um, Coming up this week, uh, we will sing the Messiah together on Thursday. Yes, yes. And this will take place over in the CFAC because the orchestra will be leading us in that. So, yes. So Thursday, chapel is in the CPAC. We'll sing, not all of the Messiah, because that's like a couple hours. We'll sing selections, selections from the Messiah. Um, So we look forward to that. And then Friday, um, this area will be filled with more instrumentalists, because we will do our carol sing with the wind ensemble on Friday. Yes, yes. And uh, that was enthusiastic, that was great. Um, Also, uh, student senate, because they love you. Yes, Claire, looking at you. Um, Because Claire loves you mostly. On behalf of Student Senate, Claire sends her love to all of you because she's coordinating uh, donuts and hot chocolate after chapel on Friday on the patio. So, yeah, yes. So shout out. Yeah, so that's awesome. So we also have our last Fridays at Calvin. Uh, So there's going to be a lot going on. So I want you to be sure that if you need to take half a donut so that a Fridays at Calvin guest gets a donut, we do that, okay? Because hospitality, all right? Yeah, we do. We have one more, actually. Yeah, they're going late. Yeah. It is a small one. It'll be fine. We're good. It's all good. Yeah, they're, they're doing a different thing this year. Surprise. So anyway, donuts are happening uh, Friday after chapel. So look forward to that. Um, praying for good weather. I'll, they're going to do them on the patio, I think. Yeah. yeah, you'll figure it out. We did tonight with the whole carol thing and the rain and the yeah, it was all good. All right, good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, tonight a number of our students are involved in lessons in carols. If you see anybody who's totally dressed in black, it's represent. You guys have had a very long day, and you still chose to come to Loft, so shout out to all of you who came. Yes, 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 way to go, well done. Total God points on that one. Oh, wait, no, that's not the way that works. Okay. So tonight, uh, after the offering time, I'll be praying. And tonight, our communities we'll be praying for will be Rooks, Mandelen, and Norderweer Vanderwerp. So uh, grateful for those communities. Um, and then uh, we're getting ready and preparing for the January uh, teaching time. And one of the things that we'll be talking about tonight is doubt and how uh, doubt engages us in our faith in different ways. And sometimes there are things that are said in class that make you go like, mm. I don't know quite what to think about that, and I'm not quite sure how to talk to my professor about that. Or uh, something that happens in a Jesus question Bible study or something that makes you go, I want to learn more about that. So tonight, uh, we're going to pass out pens and cards during the offering. We invite you to just take a moment. If there's something that came up in a class that you're like, I would like to know more about this, preferably related to theology, the Bible, God. Um, I do not do cell biology, organic chemistry, calculus, none of these things. I cannot... (laughs) French verbs, you're on your own, Um, but something faith-related that popped up in a class or popped up in a conversation that you think, I would really love to hear more about this, and then depending on how the questions are, we'll shape our January teaching time in response to those, okay? You may also still have a question about why we do what we do in worship on campus. And so if you've got a question about, I still don't understand why we do this in worship at Calvin, you can also write that question on the card, and we'll figure out how to address that too. So in just a minute, the um, offering takers will send the baskets out. So you put your offering in. You take a card and a pen out if you have a question. We'll take some time and write those down, and then they'll collect uh, the offering and the pens and cards back again. All right? So let us uh, now have the joy of giving our questions and our offerings for the Community Care Fund. Thanks, William. Are you going to play for us on Friday? You're part of the wind ensemble. Excellent. (laughs) Preview of things to come. Thanks for uh, contributing. We'll eager to look at your questions and uh, pray for us as we prepare for January. So let's pray together now. God, we give you thanks that we have this chance to come together. A season where we're pulled in a lot of directions. There are many demands on our time, and it is good to come together and settle into your presence. It's good to be reminded that we are forgiven, that we are loved. That long ago, Jesus, you came as a babe in the manger, and you grew and you taught and you healed, and you died and you rose again. And in this season of Advent, We start off the church year by waiting. We wait for you to come again. We so long for you, Jesus, to come and make all things new, to renew this planet that is crying out. We pray for those in Alaska who are affected by the earthquake. We pray for those who are responding and rebuilding. Give them energy. We know there are many in Florida, many in California, who are still rebuilding after fi- fi- hurricanes and fires. God, there is so much about this world, our planet itself, that cries out for your return. We pray for refugees, we pray for governments. Lord, we see images from Yemen, we see images from Syria, from the refugee communities in Lesvos. We cry out, we need just rulers. We need mercy. We need war to end. And in our own lives, uh, God, there is brokenness. We harbor sin. We hesitate to apologize. We don't confess. We lie to our professors. We lie to you. Oh, Jesus, there's so much in this world that needs healing, and so we plead with you to come again Come, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, we give you thanks that you have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who does not leave us as orphans, but gives us hope, gives us promise, reminds us that you are a God who is never not working, that you're here with us in the midst of our pain and brokenness. And you have called us to respond to your grace in our lives by being agents of renewal, in relationships, in communities, in government, in climate care. And so we pray that we will not lose hope, that we will wait with confidence, knowing that just as you came once, you will come again. And so make our campus a campus that is full of hope and joy and love and peace. We pray this for Norderi Randwerp. We pray this for Rooks Vindelen. We pray for Casey Stevens. We pray for Ray Hamilton and their staffs. We pray that you give these resident directors the wisdom and energy and joy that they need in their work. We ask a blessing on their marriages and on their parenting. And we pray for the staffs in these places. Give them joy in their work, particularly stamina to get to the end of the semester. Thank you that we have communities where we can get to know each other, love each other, learn from each other, We pray that you make all of our communities places where your name is lifted up. And we pray now, God, that as we turn to your word, that this story that John wrote long ago will echo afresh in our hearts and remind us of things we so desperately need to know. And we pray this through you, Jesus, Emmanuel. Amen. So we're looking at the end of the Gospel of John. Looking at it over the semester, we've by no means done all of John. I think that would take, like, you know, the whole year, maybe longer. But I invite you to turn to John 20. This is page 882 and 883 in your pew Bibles in front of you. You might want to have this out. It'll be helpful to you. So as you can see in John 20, if you're looking there, You can see the heading says, The Resurrection of Jesus. So we're to the point in the Gospel of John where the trial has happened, the crucifixion has happened, the resurrection has happened, Mary's gone to the tomb, Peter and John get to the tomb, Mary stays at the tomb, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, that's verse 11. And then Jesus appears to the disciples, and then there's the story of Jesus and Thomas, and then verses 30 and 31, which will be our focus for tonight. But I want to start reading at verse 24, because the story of Thomas sets up the end of the gospel. So this is John 20, beginning to read at verse 24. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord This is the word of the Lord. John understands doubt. He gets it. John knows that it's hard to believe. He knows that the stuff that he is talking about here is difficult to believe. He knows that it's a bit of a stretch for people. And so he finishes his gospel by saying, just so you know, once upon a time... Jesus showed up, Thomas wasn't there, like Thomas, like my brother, like we've been together for three years, Thomas isn't there, and we all say to him, Jesus showed up, and Thomas didn't believe, Thomas didn't believe. So I just want you to understand that I get it, that it's difficult to believe this stuff that we've been talking about, because Thomas, who knew Jesus personally, we told him, resurrected, didn't believe it. So I get it. So John says, I want you to hear the blessing that Jesus gives to everybody who doesn't get to see. Blessed are you who have not seen and still believe. You see, John's writing later than the other Gospels, and by this time, there have been rumors that have been circulating saying that the resurrection story is just a myth that the disciples have been telling it, that miracles don't really happen. That's not how it works. Jesus was a good teacher, maybe, maybe just a weird rabbi. Those are the rumors that are going around at the time that he writes these stories. John knows that there are other stories, there are counter-gospels that are out there, and he knows that he is writing to people to the generations yet to come, to his children, to his grandchildren, both literal and spiritual, who aren't going to get the gift that he got. They're not going to get the gift that Thomas got, where Jesus shows up and says, hey, look, go ahead, touch. Or the gift that in a couple of the chapters he sits down and he makes them breakfast by the beach. Not everybody gets that. So John says, I've written down these stories to tell you who Jesus is because I know there are counter stories out there. I know the stories of the world are out there. And it's not just the stories that are floating around Israel about who Jesus actually was. John also knows that he's writing against the stories of empire, the stories that say power is the thing that matters most that sex matters most, that money matters most, and this is how you should align your life. John knows that that's the story that's out there too, and he's got to write against that. He's got to write a counter-narrative to all the fake news that's out there and impacting his people because it's not enough just to say, well, that's out there and it doesn't happen doesn't really affect me. The truth is, those stories come at his people all the time, and they're not neutral. The stories that the world tells aren't neutral. The stories that the world tells are designed to kill us. And so John says, I'm going to write these stories down, these stories about Jesus. And I know you've heard other Gospels, and they were great, but they miss some really good stories. And so we've covered stories in the Gospel of John that aren't in some of the other Gospels. The water into wine story, the woman at the well, the conversation with Nicodemus, things we didn't get to cover, the raising of Lazarus, the washing of the feet. John says, I want you to have the truth. I want you to have the grace and the truth. I want you to have the full story. I want you to have the true story, the good news story, the story that gives life. And he wants that for us. He didn't know it 2,000 years ago. He didn't know that someday, 2,000 years, in a place he had never heard of, in a language he had never heard, someone would be reading what he wrote down and inviting other people to believe it. He didn't know that. But when you think about the context in which he was writing and you think about the context in which we are living, things are boringly unchanged. There are still rumors out there that, you know, Jesus is a good teacher. There are still rumors out there that miracles don't happen, that the resurrection is just a myth. And our empire tells the same fake news that his empire did, that power matters and money matters and sex matters, and you need to align your life with these things. You need to get more stuff particularly at this time of year, we are told all the ways in which our lives will be better if we just have more stuff. You know your happiness depends on this miracle razor. You know it does. And these stories still kill us. If you're sitting here tonight and Maybe losing sleep because you're not sure if the major that you're currently in will give you enough money when you're 35 to pay a mortgage. If you are currently losing sleep now about money problems when you're 35, the stories of this world are killing you. If we are starving ourselves to reach some goal weight because we think that some people will love us more if we are smaller to the point where we are spacey and crabby, the stories of this world are killing us. If we are holding on to the tension... Refusing to apologize, refusing to forgive, avoiding that person on the path rather than moving toward reconciliation. If we just think, I will stick to my guns and eventually this person will come around because I know I'm right, the stories of this world are killing us. John wrote his gospel against the stories of the world. John wrote the stories of his gospel to introduce us to Jesus. And he says, These things are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, but that's not it. And that believing you may have life in his name. John wrote to bring life. Life. He wants people to understand that the fake news will kill you, but this good news, this gospel will bring you life. Now, one of the stories we didn't study is the story about Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night. It's in John 3. One of the most famous verses of all scripture is found in John 3, John 3, verse 16. You probably memorized it or just like sucked it into your consciousness because it's just out there so often. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that's become like our, our checkbox, you know, like I believe in Jesus, son of God, eternal life, check. Like, like we're good. Like eternal life, someday. Like in the sweet by and by, when I die, I'm good because I checked the box. And that's how we think about eternal life. Like it's out there, eventually, harps and clouds and stuff. (laughs) That is not what John or Jesus is talking about. When Jesus talks about eternal life, he is not talking about the sweet by and by when you die. He's not talking about checking a box to get into heaven. He's not issuing a passport. You show up at the gate. They scan you in. That's not what he's talking about when he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about something that starts now. In fact, there's only one place... In the New Testament, where eternal life is actually defined, and that's in John 17. John 17, verses 2 and 3. This is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. It goes like this. He prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Knowing God, knowing Jesus, right now, today, right here. This is eternal life. Welcome you're living it. It's not about someday. Someday I will be with God. No, 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 no. Right now. Right now you are with God. God is with us right here. Eternal life starts now. As Dallas Willard would say, eternity is now in session. When Jesus is talking about eternal life, he's talking about life lived in the presence of an almighty God. And John frames up his gospel so that he is blatant about the divinity of Christ. And says, when you are living in the presence of Jesus, you are living in the presence of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Way back In John 1, at the beginning, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So through the rest of the gospel, John keeps pointing at Jesus to say, You see that? That's God. You see this? This is God. God comes into your life and brings life. God shows up and brings life to people that other people don't think deserve life. There's a woman going to a well at noon to avoid everything, to manage her pain. And that's where Jesus meets her. There's a man lying by a pool of water, pleading, hoping, someday managing his pain. That's where Jesus shows up. There's a blind man begging by the side of the road trying to manage his pain. That's where Jesus shows up. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John says, Pay attention, people. Jesus is the one who shows up, and Jesus is not the one who says that power matters or money matters or sex matters. Jesus says forgiveness matters, and relationship matters, and women matter, and the poor matter, and disabled matter, and theological conversations matter. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So when these kind of stories trickle into our stories, that's eternal life. When you move toward reconciliation, when you humble yourself and apologize to someone else, that's eternal life. When you accept yourself for who you are and say, I am good enough, I am beloved by God, I don't need to lose a pound to make God love me anymore, that's eternal life. When you say, I can go to bed at midnight and not stay up till 2 because getting two more answers right on my French test will not make me right with God. That's eternal life. When we pull away as a community from this idol of busyness and think that a busy, caffeinated, nutty, insane, sleep-deprived life equals a good life, and we say no, that's eternal life. That's eternal life. When we move toward health, when we move toward relationship, when we move toward forgiveness, when we move toward service, when we move toward worship, that's eternal life. It starts now. John says, I get it that this stuff is hard to believe. I know. There's this rabbi, he rose again from the dead. I get it. I know, I know, I know, I know. But listen. I wrote these things down because they happened. I wrote these things down because I was there. I wrote these things down because they're true, but most of all, I wrote them down so that you would come to believe in Jesus and that you would have life. That you would have life and that you would be able to counteract the fake news of this world and say that I align myself with Jesus Christ and the values that he pours out. I align myself with forgiveness toward myself and others. I align myself with compassion. I align myself with mercy. I turn away from greed and lust. I turn away from sleep deprived insanity. I turn toward Jesus, I turn toward life. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life, but he doesn't end it there. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, abundantly Your life in Christ is an abundant life. It is an overflowing life. That's eternal life. And it's not in the sweet by and by when you die. It's in the here and the now. Because whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about us going up in the sweep by and by when we die. It's about the rule of Christ coming down here among us. That's eternal life. Then the healing of the planet begins and the healing of relationships happen and the kingdom of God is in all of its glory. Your kingdom come on earth. Eternal life starts now. We get to live it. Because we have listened to our brother John week after week after week telling us the stories of this really crazy rabbi who loved people and made other people really mad. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing we may have life in his name, amen. You pray with me. God, we thank you for our brother John. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you that he recognized the fake news, the cultural stories that are so loud and pervasive and he wrote against them to say, let me tell you about something that will bring you life. Jesus, we thank you that we have learned so much about you this semester. Thank you for being one who both troubles and comforts us, for one who is near to us and calls us from death to life. And so, Holy Spirit, you know us. You know where the siren call of this world sounds so loud and clear. And instead, we pray that this voice, the voice of truth, the voice of the good news, the voice of the gospel of Jesus Christ will echo within us and among us. That on this campus, we will say, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we listen to. And the name of Jesus Christ is what we lift up. For we are people who are alive. Our eternal life is now.